You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 74 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. We have spoken so much about the basic conditions for the small business CGT concessions in the past episodes that it is time for an overview of what the small business CGT concessions actually look like. What do you get when you pass the basic conditions? I asked Adrian Bailey of Cleary Hall in Sydney whether he could walk us through the small business CGT concessions, and he kindly said yes. Here's Adrian. So if we meet our basic con conditions, and you, as you probably understand that they are not basic, even though they're called basic conditions. That's um, a very good point. Yeah, that they are complex and they're getting more complex. It's kind of a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, it is. Then we have a look at our concessions themselves. So the three main ones, four main ones, I should say, uh, in practice are going to be the 15-year rule, which is in subdivision 152B, small business 50% reduction, sub, which is subdivision 152C, Small Business Retirement Exemption, Subdivision 152D, and the Small Business Rollover in 152E. So we'll go through each of those uh, in, in, and work out whether there are additional conditions and what they actually mean. In terms of the first one, um, the 15-year rule, um, so it actually is a bit like it sounds. However, uh, when we look at that in the Small Business Retirement Exemption, they probably could be described a little bit better uh, because the 15-year rule, the first extra condition that we need to meet is that um, we have in effect had a, and I'll say paraphrase, we've in effect had a business that's been operating for at least 15 years. And one of the condition, one of the extra conditions in terms of the 15 year rule is that we have a significant individual. Uh, it doesn't have to be the same significant individual, but we have a significant individual for at least, for, for all of those 15 years or at least 15 years. So the significant individual test in effect looks at whether we have either 20% of the equity interests in the business uh, or in terms of trusts, uh, whether our distributions reach, reach a percentage that makes us a significant individual or we're a spouse of a significant individual and we have a small business participation percentage. If we have a significant individual for, the, for those 15 years, then uh, we still have to meet some other requirements, and, and that is that, is that uh, the event that's occurring is either in relation to our retirement or total permanent disability. So it doesn't say that we have to retire, but it says that we have, it's in connection with our retirement. So it is the case that if we meet our 15-year component we, and the CGT event occurs, it can, either occur, it can occur technically either before or after our retirement, as long as it's in connection with our retirement and we can show that. Um, so a sort of general scenario for that would be we're selling a business and we're staying on as a consultant or something along, yes. the, along those there's lines. A, there's a long list of examples on the ATO website about yep. what means in connection with retirement. You yes. Know, a lot yep. of examples. Yep. 
One thing that has confused me for a very long time is DGT concession stakeholder and significant individual. And I know, yes, on paper it's very easy to understand. CGT concession stakeholder is a significant individual plus their spouse. Every significant individual is a CGT concession stakeholder, but not every CGT concession stakeholder yep. is a significant individual. And what confused me with respect to the 15-year exemption is that my thinking was, well, we already passed, we already ticked off the CGT concession stakeholder in the basic conditions. Why do we have this requirement of a significant individual again in the 15-year exemption? And trying to explain that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the CGT concession stakeholder we only need in the basic conditions if a company or trust is in the setup. If it's a pure asset sale from a sole trader, then we don't need a CGT concession stakeholder. Hence, the significant individual is coming in through the 15-year exemption. And the other explanation I've given me is that the CGT concession stakeholder in the basic conditions is about the person who's selling the asset, mm. either directly or through an interposed entity, whereas a significant individual in the 15-year exemption doesn't have to be the person who's selling the assets. Is that a fair... Yeah, does that uh, that, make sense? it does make sense. And I, I, in terms of the 15-year rule, that extra requirement, uh, I guess, is more of an integrity measure to make sure that, um, for example, we're not just taking over a business that has been running for 15 years um, and then looking to sell it in terms of an, and applying the 15-year rule for a business that we've only just taken over in the last year or something along those lines. So. Um, in terms of the, the difference between the two, I think it's more of a hangover from some of the earlier iterations of the legislation where we had a concept of a CGT concession stakeholder and, an, and a significant individual, and that was different for, for different concessions. Um, now, I, I think it's, yeah, it's it's a little bit redundant, but it's they've, they've remained as two different you know, descriptions in terms of the legislation. Um, so with, with the 15-year rule, um, one of the things is that any, any gain that we make is, is tax-free. Um, in terms of um, one of the, the requirements is, or well, not requirements, but one of the, the, the issues with that is, okay, well, if we're selling assets out of a company or a unit trust, okay, that's tax-free to the company because we're meeting those requirements, but how do we get our money out of the company um, without there being further tax? And that's where the payment has to be to the significant individual or CGT concession yeah. stakeholder at that time. But that's actually another point that always confused me is because any distribution from a company is a dividend. How can we now, in the hands of the shareholder, turn the dividend into a tax-exempt capital gain? Yeah, it's a function of the legislation that it modifies that to exclude it from being a dividend. Um, it, it's a nanny, non-accessible, non non-exempt income. So it's... Yeah, the, the legislation actually does modify that payment to say that if that payment's in relation to the 15-year rule or... We'll talk about the small business retirement exemption. If it's in relation to that, then it's not a dividend from the company. Oh, I see. Or oh, it's still a dividend, but it's it's classified as nanny. Yeah, uh, and it has to obviously, not obviously, but it has to go to that significant individual. Yeah. Yeah. So 15-year rule, some of the, in practice, some of the, the issues that we've seen with it in practice is having 15 years' worth of records. Um, if, if we have, not so hard if we're selling a, something from a company, for example, but if we're selling a, a business yes. from a discretionary trust, we have to show that we've had a significant individual in that trust for 15 years. So um, unless we've got 15 years' worth of 
distribution documents. Distribution documents and, and tax returns um, can be difficult to show that. So that's something to consider in, in applying the 15-year rule. It's always worthwhile if we're looking at rollovers or we're looking at change of business structure, one of the first considerations is going to be how close are we to the 15-year rule? If we're at 13 or 14 years, do we wait a year or two and then trigger our restructure as a sale and apply the 15-year rule? Because we don't want to be, hopefully, we don't want to be in a situation where we've restructured something and we've broken that, that nexus to that 15-year rule. So um, it's important to, to in, our, in our fact find, to ask, to talk to the clients about how long the business has been running and those sorts of things. Yes. And I think there are only a few rollovers that don't break the 15 years. Marriage breakdown doesn't break it. Destruction or accidental loss doesn't break yep. it. A lot of the other... Yeah, but they do. Pretty much everything yeah. else breaks it. Yeah. Uh, if we don't meet the 15-year rule, and that's generally because um, we're uh, not meeting the 15-year requirements or the retirement requirements, um, and there is also, an, I, don't, I don't recall mentioning it, there's an age basis in terms of that retirement part. Um, oh, yes, you need to be at least 55. Yeah, you need, need to be 55. Um, mm. So anybody who's below 55 can never access the 15-year exemption unless they are disabled. That, that, There's actually a different word in the um, yes. legislation, but I can't pronounce it, so yeah, stay yeah. away from it. Yeah, so yeah, if uh, we're saying it's in connection with our retirement, we still have to be over 55. Yeah. The, the next concession and the one that's, quite, uh, one that's very often used is the small business 50% reduction, uh, which is a 50% discount on our, on our gain. It's also what was previously known as the active asset reduction, so that's quite often you'll come across that term. Why do you say previously known? Because I think that's still, that term is still very much out there in the marketplace. Originally, in, in the description of, of this, it was called active asset reduction. And um, then people complained that it's misleading because every asset has to be an active yeah, asset, not yeah. just for this test. So now it's called small business 50%. Oh, um, I see. So that's, there was a change in the legislation. Oh, but okay. Like with most things, people are used to using particular terminology and they keep using it. Yeah. So we don't need to meet any extra requirements. Um, if we meet 152C, which is small business, I'm sorry, if we meet 152A, which are the basic conditions, we can apply a 50% reduction. So again, straight away a 50%. So that's an easy one. It is easy. Next one, small business retirement exemption. Uh, and this name is a little bit misleading. And it's called retirement exemption, but we don't have to retire. Um, the retirement aspect is more about, in reality, superannuation. So it, it provides that if we meet our basic conditions, plus a couple of extra conditions, um, and they generally relate to payment um, of the amount. And I think you also need a significant individual. You, you do, money. yeah. You, you, you need to, the payment needs, again, to be to a significant individual or a spouse. There is a lifetime cap under this condition of $500,000. So if we make a gain of $500,000, um, and we meet our conditions, our basic conditions, and we're a significant individual. And if we're under 55, we make a payment into super of that amount. Or if we're over 55, uh, we can take the money. We don't have to t pay it into super. Uh, then that amount is tax-free um, under the small business retirement exemption. With the small business retirement exemption, the things to remember with it is that it is a $500,000 cap per individual. Lifetime. Lifetime. So if we... If you're dealing with clients that have may have used it in an earlier business, then it's obviously important to recognise that in, in any sort of later transactions. 
in terms of the payment, if we're paying that amount into superannuation, uh, if we're under 55, um, it has to be done on either the later of making our election or receiving our proceeds. So on the later of those events, we, are, we need to, within seven days, make our payment into superannuation if we're under 55. And as soon as you paid into superannuation, you incur a 15% contribution tax? Uh, no. As a non-concessional non contribution? No, it's actually, it is, it's, it's, it's excluded from those rules. Oh, okay. uh, it's specifically excluded. It doesn't count as a non-concessional contribution, so it doesn't count towards the 100,000, so you can yep. put into accumulation whatever you want. But what you then move from accumulation to pension, that is subject to the 1.6 million cap. Yeah. The other thing with the small business retirement exemption is that if we're over 55, we can just pay the money to ourselves, for example, and we don't have to, well, it's not subject to taxation. It is... Um, I mentioned before that that obligation comes on the later of making the election or receiving the proceeds. So we're going to make our election when we lodge our tax returns, in effect, for that year. It is one of the, the unusual concessions that we have to actually make a written election. Normally you make an election in your tax return by the way you apply something in your tax return. So, for example, the discount capital gain, that's your election, the way you record it in your tax return. This one uh, under 152D actually requires a separate written election. Where and you, you have to write to the trustee saying it's a yes, section 152D yep, payment. Yep. And you also need to um, specify the amount. Um, so, which is which probably happens if you if you pay the money into a third party superannuation yep. fund because they need to know what it is about. But when you pay it into your own SMSF, or, then or it can you, be or, easy to yeah. or you forget. just take the money yourself. It can be something that's overlooked. With with that, in terms of that election, um, I mentioned the other aspect being the later of receiving the proceeds. So it could be a scenario where you've got deferred payment. So you make your election when you lodge your tax return. That's the first step. But until you actually receive those proceeds, you don't have an obligation to put that money into super or, or take it out yourself. So, so yeah. this is inter interesting under an earn-out arrangement, for example. Mm. So it could, there could be a scenario where the actual payment of those proceeds is deferred some time. Um, and again, perhaps a bit of a planning uh, thing in terms of well, if we're at 54 and we don't get our proceeds for another year, then we're 55. Then we, when we receive it under the legislation, then we could take that ourselves rather than put that into super. Um, so um, there is no obligation to retire. Uh, it's small, as I said, it's called small business retirement exemption, but there's no obligation to retire under this one. What's the youngest client you ever had that claimed the retirement exemption? Oh, it would be in their 20s. Um, so yeah, it's it's something that probably to, to do with a startup. Yeah, and it's um, uh, I can't give financial planning advice, of course, because I'm not a financial planner. But from the perspective of someone in their twenties or thirties, um, is it better for them to pay the tax and not claim this, as opposed to put it in a super, recognising that the money is going to be locked in super for thirty, forty years? Um, so um, I, I, I find with younger clients that they, they, they tend not want to use super as much for, the, for that reason that they, they want to leverage the funds, mm. post-tax funds. Yeah. They don't own a family home yet, yeah. and hence yep. they don't have the means to put yeah. them to super. Yep. Last rollover in small business concessions is a small business rollover in 152E, uh, and it is relatively straightforward. Uh, again, we need to make the basic conditions. 
and then we need to acquire a replacement asset to the amount of our capital gain within two years of our initial CGT event. The only place that I see people getting caught out here is that they may have an entity that sells an asset and they buy a replacement asset, but they buy it in a different entity. But that doesn't work. It's got to be in the original taxpayer. Um, so that's where I do see some issues with this. And uh, it resets the cost base, doesn't it? It does. Um, so it's not like the other ro rollovers, like 122A and B, where you are stuck with your old cost base. This one actually gives you a new cost base. Yeah, yeah. If you don't require, if you don't acquire your asset, or say for example, you don't acquire an asset to the same value, then that's when you have one of your J events occurs at a later stage. Um, so it is often used this rollover as a as a deferral technique, um, in that we can have our money tax free for two years, and think about what we want to do with it. Yeah. If if we don't buy an, another business asset, or if we don't do anything, then we've had the abuse of that money for two years, um, and then we pay our tax if we have tax to pay. Um, so that's often used, and also used, as we've mentioned before, when people are close to 55, to get them over that 55 threshold. I kind of always saw it as a provision that is kind of tucked behind. I never really paid much attention to it, apart from this two-year deferral through J5. Yeah. But you actually see it more often than people think because that gives everybody two years to think and strategize exactly but, what they want to do. Exactly, and it's it is it's a deferral. So it gives you that two years. is better than the money's in your hands rather than somebody else's. Yes. And so, for example, when you have an earn-out arrangement, for example, it can save you from having to readjust your CGT calculations the whole time. If you just wait for two years, you wait for the earn-out arrangement payments to come in, then you have everything together and then you make an election. Uh, you could do. Um, you'd, you'd have to think about, because there is timing provisions for earn-outs as to how long the earn-out can go for, so you'd just have to work out whether you're going to be breaching any of those in, in doing that. Um, so the, the biggest risk, another big risk is probably missing the two years. Enjoying the money, that, that's, forgetting that, that you have to make it. Uh, that, that, that is. Um, if you do go, you can actually go past two years uh, and you can apply to the commissioner for a longer period if you can show that that's reasonable in the circumstances. So where I've used that uh, and the commissioner has granted that extension uh, previously was uh, a business premises that was acquired as part of WestConnex. Uh, That business premises, uh, the, the, the business, it took them some time to find a, a new premises that actually worked for them. And then, they're, well, they're still in dispute. This has been going on for some years now. But uh, they're in dispute with uh, WestConnex as to the acquiring price for the old old amount, for the, sorry, for the old property. So they've been paid some money in terms of that acquisition, but it wasn't enough to go and acquire a new property. And it took them a while to actually find a suitable property, a relatively specialised business. Um, so it took them, they signed a contract three years after they sold the, or after the first one was compulsorily acquired. So in, in terms of that, uh, the commissioner accepted that that was reasonable in the circumstances for that, for that further period. So you can actually go past two years. Obviously, it's, it's got to be some reason for it rather than just, oh, it took me three years to find something. Uh, so that's the, the concessions in terms of the overview. Um, if we want to run through a, a very brief scenario of, of how they could be used in practice or, or where they could be used, and quite often I'll say, say to people when I'm talking to them, the concessions together with a discount gain allow us to deal with $4 million tax-free. 
uh, when you work through a mum and dad type situation. So they are generous. So if we're going to meet them, then we can we can use them. How do you get to four million? Couldn't it be a lot more than that? It can it can let's, be more than that. Let's say a, a farming business that passed the small business turnover test. Yep. The land is worth twenty thirty million. It could be a nana so yep. non accessible non exempt capital gain of twenty. No, it could it dollar. could be, but it, in the absence of using something like the fifteen year rule. Yeah, uh, if they use the yeah, fifteen year rule. In, in the absence of using that, which a, a lot of people won't qualify for. Um, then we look, we look at the other concessions and that's where we get our $4 million figure. But you, but you are right, something like the 15-year rule could be much higher. Um, so it's just it's based on your practical experience. Most often you deal with a capital gain of around $4 million. Yeah. That's where you see most of the and, action happening. And, and also in terms of planning, if that's our threshold and we don't think we're going to get to our 15-year rule, when our value of our business gets to $4 million, recognising very likely... We're going to have other assets outside of the business that are going to take us close to the $6 million threshold. Is that the time to trigger our internal sale so that we can deal with that gain now and lock in a new cost base in our new entity of, of $4 million? So with that, for, and to use our, a very simple example, we have a, a discretionary trust, and this will come back to some of our earlier podcasts in relation to moving from a trust to a company, and the client wants to move from a trust to a company. Um, this is a mum and dad type scenario so we have two significant individuals and the value of the business is $4 million just for the purpose of the example and the cost base is nil so if we sell or if we transfer our asset from our trust to our company and we're not using one of the rollovers we know straight away we've got a $4 million capital gain when we work through the numbers if we meet the small business conditions The first thing that we would actually use would be the general discount in Division 115. So if we hold an asset and we're an individual or a trustee for more than 12 months, uh, we sell that asset or with a CGT event in relation to that asset, we get a 50% discount. So straight away we move from trust to company. That's a discount of $2 million on the gain. So our gain is then $2 million. Meeting our conditions for a small business, if we were to apply the 152C, which is the small business 50% reduction, remembering that we've only got to meet our conditions to apply that, that reduces our gain, taxable gain, by another $1 million. So that reduces us down to one. Um, after that, if in mum and dad scenario, we've got two lots of $500,000 under small business retirement exemption we could potentially utilise. Uh, as long as we meet those extra conditions in terms of whether we're under 55 or over 55, in terms of where we cash flow it, then we can mop up our remaining million dollars uh, and not actually have any tax to be paid. Of course, we still have to meet the requirements in relation to small business retirement in terms of payment into super or um, if we're under 55. But it is a, there's an opportunity, not, not opportunity, but there is the reality that we can deal with that $4 million dollars in effect tax-free. From mum and dad's perspective, they're now in a company, if that's what they wanted to move to. Um, we could have a new trust holding the shares in, in the company, so we're improving our asset protection perspective. Uh, and uh, we've got a new cost base of $4 million dollars in the company. Recognising that, if our, as I said before, if our, cost, if our business is worth $4 million, we're very likely to be close to our $6 million anyway if we've got other assets elsewhere, which we're likely to have. So it may be the case that we, we do this so that we get access to these concessions now because um, as the business continues to grow, we're not going to meet them uh, anymore. Um, mm. 
So, in the same scenario, but for some reason we sell from one company to another. I mean, of course, why would you do that? But just yeah. assuming, then they would pay tax because the four million wouldn't be reduced to two million through division one one five. It would be reduced to two million through section one hundred and fifty two C. And then you get the retirement exemption five hundred thousand each. So you still have one million of capital gain left, which they have to pay tax on, so $300,000 tax, yeah. that $300,000 does not go into the cost base of the shares. And that, 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 that's right. So you, because you, you, still, you still have a cost base of, 400, of $4 million, but in addition you have to pay $300,000 tax if it's a company that's yeah. selling. And, and that's one of the, the main disadvantages of having a, an appreciating capital asset in a company and we don't have the access to the discount capital gain as opposed to a trust. So in that example, it's exactly right. It's the difference between $2 million being able to deal with $2 million tax-free as opposed to $4 million. So we're, in effect, doubling our ability to deal with tax by operating in a trust, mm. which um, is one of the reasons that they're very popular in business because of the, that concession. Yes. So in practice, you would always, you very often would see appreciating business assets, meaning property, being in a trust yes. and the business in an extra company. Yeah. So the um, generally speaking, yeah, if we're giving advice, we'll often talk about trust because of that um, discount capital gain access. So that that's usually what we'd be recommending in those sorts of scenarios. There are other things that you need to think about in terms of land tax and other issues, but in reality, if it's something that's going to have a lot of capital growth, recognising that we may have so much capital growth that we're outside of the concessions... So if we're selling out of the company, then we're paying tax on everything. We're selling out of a trust, at least, at least we, we get, get the, the division dis- one one five. Yeah, we get the discount of fifty percent. So, and that's that is the small business CGT concessions in an overview. They they are very. I've said it a couple of times. They're very complicated. If any queries come across our desks in terms of advice on them, we will always go back to legislation and step through all of it because there's, there are little tricks for each one, um, and you do have to also show some application of the facts to the legislation as well when you're doing that. So they're very generous. They've been around for a little while. There's always constant talk about them being tightened up or reduced. Uh, The Henry Review suggested that there should only be two rather than four. Um, However... Two two rather than four concessions. So which two did you want to drop? I can't remember off the top of my head, but... um, uh, would say the the fifty percent, the small business fifty percent would have been one of them, but uh, yeah, I can't quite remember. But so, I mean, the short of it is, is that two scenarios. If you're concerned about probably the fifteen year and the fifty percent, because yeah. they are the two most yeah. the two most generous ones. Yeah. If you're close to meeting the or close to exceeding the thresholds at six million or two million. You should be looking at using them so that you can use them because it is a drop-dead thing once you pass it, that's it. Or if you've got concerns about them being removed, I never like to be the person that cries wolf and says they're all going, you need to do this now. But the, the reality is, is that there's going to be continual tightening up on them as, as we've seen in relation to the most recent changes in relation to selling of shares and units and the, the new tests in relation to those. Mm. Um, so as long as you don't have property and run into stamp duty issues... It actually makes sense to just sell from company A to company B just to get it, the cost basis, it, it yeah, can, just to get the concessions. Yeah, it can do. Like most things in structuring and, and tax work, you, you don't just do things for the tax benefit in relation to it. There have to be other reasons that you would want to because restructure. Because otherwise you 
you are in Division 4 aid territory. Yeah, it's not just that. It's also the, the business. Yeah, no, it's it, not a good... It, it impacts good, on the business. Yeah, you, you, it's not you, a good focus to focus... If your business focuses on saving tax, then yeah, you probably yeah. won't pay any tax yeah. in the long run and, and you've because got, you focus on the wrong thing. And you always have disruption when you're changing entities because it's new yes. ABNs, you've got to renegotiate contracts, those sorts of things. So as much as we'd like every client to restructure for the sake of restructuring because, you know, that gives, makes our business better, um, the reality is that more often than not you're looking at it and thinking, well, do you actually really need to do this? Often there are strong reasons to do it apart from tax. Um, and generally that is part of that succession planning um, or asset protection. Most often when we're restructuring people, it's because they've been put in the wrong entity to begin with or they have accumulated... Oh, that yeah, and, or accumulated a number of different assets within that one entity so you want to try and separate that as well welcome back the small business cgt concessions are a high risk area one small mistake like bad timing having the cgt event happening at the wrong time or forgetting to make a written election can unravel it all so it is an area we really need to be across in the next episode, episode 75, we will have Tax Talk's very first Q&A session. We will go through your questions you sent in over the past few weeks. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>